Who will make it to Las Vegas to play for the Pac-12 championship at the end of the season? And how weird will this season be? I'm John Canzano. Welcome to an all-new episode of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. So we've been talking a lot about all that other stuff, the media rights, the expansion, uh, all the finger pointing, the blame game. And uh, Wilner and I decided that it was time to talk some football. Wilner, uh, this is going to be a weird season. It's going to this is going to be probably the weirdest Pac-12 season in 108 years of this conference. And it was supposed to be. And it still is, in a way, the most anticipated season in many, many years, right? I mean, it, the conference is loaded with good teams, should be exciting games, you know, lots of drama down the stretch. So it's highly anticipated and also the weirdest at the same time, which just makes it doubly bizarre, right? I mean, I can't even quite get my wrap my arms around what it's going to feel like on a week-to-week basis because it's going to be like you're going to – Watching these games, and then, you know, the 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 soundtrack to the season is going to be taps. Uh, I just, it, I can't quite grasp it. The, and there was there was kind of a weirdness last season with USC and UCLA, and everybody knowing, hey, this is their last year. And I can remember being at, you know, I was at Rice Eccles Stadium when USC came to play. And there were some bad feelings in that stadium. Like the Utah fans were looking over at USC going, okay, you left the conference. And I think a lot of the conference was rooting for Utah that night because it was, uh, you know, it was viewed as a Pac-12 against a future Big Ten team. Now we've got, you know, Big 12 teams. You've got Pac-12 leftover, four holdovers. You've got the uh, Big Ten contingent of Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA and uh, there's just going to be a lot of weirdness in and around that with the players, with the teams, with uh, rivalry games that now take on new meaning. Like, you know, we don't know if these rivalry games will continue beyond this season and, in, in, you know, become will they become week three games. So I think it's going to be a really interesting drama as it plays out. And I hope, you know, the documentary film crews are rolling on it because they would be a hell of a documentary to roll on the final season of the Pac-12 as we once knew it. And, and you know, where will it culminate? Las Vegas with two teams, and we'll give our picks for those here on this episode. This is our Pac-12 preview of the college football season. And, yes, we're talking football. I'm happy we're talking football, though, you know, because this, this – I don't know if you got into sports writing to talk media rights, TV deals, or you got into it because you enjoyed telling stories and covering games and talking about, you know, the intrigue that would happen on Saturdays. No, I certainly didn't get into it uh, for the media rights. In fact, that was not really on my radar until 10 or 12 years ago. And the, when the Pac-12 put it on everybody's radar, right? I will say this, though. Everybody eats it up, right? There's no topic in college sports that generates reaction from fans like media rights. I, I I certainly don't want to go down that road right here, but uh, it is uh, all has been all consuming for, for 13 months. It feels like, and it's going to continue. And let, you know, let's hope there's some clarity for the four remaining schools before the football season starts. That'll help. Cause I do, I do think, you know, it's going to be tough. You want to give the 
the games they're due and the players and the coaches they're due based on what's going to happen each Saturday. Uh, and, and you want to block out all that, that other stuff, but it's going to be almost impossible to block it out. And uh, the, especially the way the whole thing has gone with, you know, these 12 schools basically going in what four different directions, possibly three different directions at the end of the year. It's just, it's bananas, but we should definitely get, deep into some football stuff here. He is John Canzano at johncanzano.com. And I am John Wilner, Bay Area News Group with Pac12Hotline.com. And we are going to get, get, let's dive into the football. Where where do you want to start here? Because there are a lot of topics, uh, big picture topics, in the weeds topics. Y- you choose the start spot. Let's start with talking about the best thing that the conference has going. And it's the quarterbacks. It's Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. It's Cam Rising at Utah, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, Bo Nix at Oregon. Uh, you got Jaden Delora at Arizona. You got DJ Uyengalele, likely starter at Oregon State. I think he is going to emerge as the starter. Everybody's saying that you know he he's just been terrific in the scrimmages and is showing some leadership. And you got Cam Ward at Washington State. He's got a new coordinator in Ben Arbuckle and. I think that let's start with the quarterbacks. As I mentioned, all of those QBs, you know, where does your mind go, uh, Wilner, as you as you sort of think about, you know, the great QBs that we're going to see, on, you know, in games this season? Well, my mind starts with which one of them are going to stay healthy for 12 starts, to be honest, uh, just because I think that's such a huge component of, of the quarterback play and uh, avoiding injury. I mean, one of the stars is coming off of uh, an ACL, Cam Rising, and how how uh, sharp is he going to be in the Utah's first two big games coming out to start the season? So I start with, you know, and that's unknowable, who's going to be healthy. Uh, and I go straight to the fact that unlike last year, when the vast majority of these guys were new and had appeared through the transfer portal, right, most of them now have had at least a year with their schools in the systems, right? Penix, Ward, Knicks, Williams, Delora, they all uh, should be very comfortable uh, with their with their playbooks. And I think that is going to help. And, and we should get into the impact of the, the non-conference schedule at some point here. But, you know, the sharper the quarterbacks are to start the season, the better chance you've got to win early. And winning early is crucial. And I think, too, look at last season. The, you know, Nick's at the end of the season, whatever was going on with his ankle, whatever was going on with his foot, you know, Oregon never really said. You know, was it a broken foot? It Was it a sprained ankle? We still don't know. But that injury down the stretch hurt Oregon as they had to play Washington with him late in that game, not healthy, had to play the Civil War game against Oregon State. He wasn't. He was nowhere near 100%. And when he lined up against Utah, he was essentially sitting on a stool you know, unable to move around. He was just throwing the ball out of the pocket. And, you know, that affected Oregon down the stretch. And so keeping Bo Nix healthy, huge for Oregon. Caleb Williams, though, I mean, look at what happened in the Pac-12 championship game when Utah, you know, got to Caleb Williams and he had a hamstring injury and he couldn't move. I mean, they just teed off on him. It, they treated him like a pinata. It, it, it impacted that game in a 180-degree way that, you know, USC was running away with that championship game until Williams pulled the hammy, and then Utah just put their ears back and, and came after him. And, and you know, in we've even seen in fall camp, Michael Penix Jr., 
Uh, although I think he's healthy. You know, he had some days there. He took some days off, and, you know, he's resting his arm. And I think anytime that happens with Penix, who, you know, had all those injuries uh, at Indiana, and he had season enders with his knee, and he had a, uh, a shoulder issue. I mean, anytime there's anything going on with Michael Penix Jr. that keeps him out of practice, I think immediately you have to pay attention to. And and then I think you, you look at some of the other QBs. You know, Cam Ward's got a new coordinator in Ben Arbuckle at Washington State. I, I, I thought Cam Ward... For the most part last season, I was disappointed with him. I, you know, I thought he was okay, but I didn't see him get as the season went on. I didn't see progression or growth from him. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, will a new play caller, you know, will that relationship result in Cam Ward taking a step forward at Washington State? Because I think defensively they'll be okay, but if they get anything more out of Cam Ward, I mean, it makes him just that much more dangerous. And then Jaden Delora at Arizona, he's so dynamic and then also so frustrating in that he will try on every play to get points, and it results in 13 interceptions and Jed Fish pulling his hair out. So I think there's just some some interesting adjustments that need to be made, And but you're totally right about the health because all of these great teams start playing each other really in about week seven and beyond. So Penix Jr., Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Cam Rising, how healthy are those guys when the money games happen in week seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve? Yep. And and you know, it's really three things go into that, right? It's just luck, bad luck. It's how good is your offensive line? And it's do you have a running game to help to help take the pressure off, right? Washington last year, you know, Penix made it through. Uh Washington's offensive line was fantastic. And so you look, you start to think through you know, the quarterbacks and, the and you know, who's going to get the best protection, who's got the, you know, the best play callers to, to help avoid bad spots. And, and, you know, you can go down a wormhole trying to figure it all out. Uh, but it's to me, that's going to be the whole thing, because you're right. Once we get to the middle of October, basically, uh, you know, October 14th, Washington, Oregon, and that game starts uh i think that's week seven that's gonna start like six weeks in a row where you have got prime time ranked versus ranked showdowns every single week the conference took great care to make sure there was a marquee game that would be available uh you know for for prime time showing on broadcast television uh every every week starting in the middle of october we could go down through the list but it is uh, an impressive array, and you know the health is going to determine a lot of a lot of what happens in that stretch. Yeah, look, I mean, Oregon State and Utah meet in Week Five, but it's kind of the Friday night, and it's kind of an aberration sitting on a Friday night in the middle of the season. But everything else is Week Seven, Week Eight, Week Nine, all the way to the Week Thirteen matchups and some of the rivalry games. Um, I also think it's really interesting. Like I was looking at a team like Utah, you know. They're, they're playing that Florida game on a Thursday to start week one, and then it's Baylor, and there's the question of Cam Rising kind of in his health, lingering in the background, and Kyle Whittingham said uh, on Media Day that he would not play Rising unless he was 100%. I actually think there's some interesting strategy at Utah where, you know, they're now looking at, hey, quarterback two has gone down. Will it be quarterback three? Will it be Cam Rising? They don't know, but I think their schedule is so brutal in that they have to play UCLA, Oregon State, USC, Oregon, Washington. They skip no one. Utah's got the toughest schedule. 
They have no mulligans and two tough non-conference games. I'll be really curious to see how Kyle Whittingham manages Cam Rising and his health. And and quarter and coaches and quarterbacks across the league, will coaches, like will Oregon, in games where they are running away, let's say Colorado in week four, let's say they're running away from Colorado or Stanford in week five, will Dan Lanning pull Bo Nix out of the game early and, and say, look, we're going to need you in week seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And will they play that game, or will they just go, hey, it's football, we need to leave guys in there? I'll be really curious to see if there will be differences in how the head coaches will manage the starting quarterbacks. Well, and also along those lines, you know, that run-pass option thing, and, you know, is Bo Nix going to think twice ever uh, about tucking it and running? You know, that's those hits pile up, and – you know, who's going to be content to just try to make plays in the pocket instead of, of putting it down? Uh, I think that's that's something to watch, too. But you're totally right about Utah and that brutal schedule. I think that moving the Florida game to Thursday helps. They'll get two extra days before they before they have to go to Baylor. But, uh, you know, we should get into, you know, before this thing ends here, we should get into that non-conference, uh, the non-conference. The impact the non-conference is going to have – on the rest of the season, on the narrative involving the Pac-12, uh, we should dive deep into that topic because I think it's very rich. Yeah, let's talk about that because I'm 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 credentialed and scheduled to go to that Utah Florida game on that Thursday. I want to be there. I want to see that one because it's a big one. And you've got Colorado playing at TCU in Week One as well. Uh, you have some other games uh, in Week Two and Week Three that are super interesting, but. What's jumping out at you when you look at the non-conference schedule? I, to me, it's week one. It's the Florida-Utah game. I'm curious to see Colorado, although I don't think it will set the narrative for the conference because I think TCU could could boat race them in that week one matchup. Um, and then I start looking at week two in Oregon and Texas Tech. That is a huge game. And Utah and Baylor, that is a huge game. And then you have an opportunity with Wisconsin going to Pullman to play Washington State, and Auburn going to Cal in a game that I think could be pretty interesting. I, I really like Justin Wilcox as a game manager, and I think he's, he steals a game once a season that I that nobody expects him to win. I, I look at Auburn going to Berkeley, and I go, that could be interesting. Not many people in the stands, and, and you know, a very mediocre SEC Auburn team playing at Cal. It's kind of a weird game. What else jumps out at you? Well, so I jotted down Power Five opponents here. Now, we've got you know, always you have the the two Notre Dame games, uh, and this year USC's got the road game uh, in October. And Stanford has the Irish at home Thanksgiving weekend. So aside from the two Notre Dame games, here's what we got: we got home games: Florida, Auburn, Oklahoma State, Nebraska, Wisconsin. I don't think I'm missing any road Power Five games are Michigan State. Texas Tech, Mississippi State, Arizona goes there, uh, Baylor and TCU. So one, I think it's fairly balanced, right? This is a rare year where the Pac-12 doesn't have an outsized number of Power 5 road games, right? It's it's equal, home and road. There's also no, you know, Florida, Florida uh, Utah is obviously a big game week one, but there is no equivalent of like the Oregon, Georgia or Washington, Auburn, uh, any of those, you know, Labor Day, Saturday, 
eight o'clock Eastern primetime showdowns. The Pac-12 does not have one of those neutral site games this year. Uh, so those are two things that stood out to me, but the, those power five games early on are going to set the narrative for the whole season. And that narrative absolutely has an impact on, you know, the playoff selection process, uh, the Heisman trophy, all that kind of thing. New Year's six bowls. They have got the conference. If it wants to maximize the potential of all these teams, it's got to win early. It cannot have a slow start. Like we saw two years ago, got to win the, those games early. I, but I think in particular, it's Oregon, Texas tech in week two. It's Utah at Baylor in week two, and it's Washington at Michigan state in week three. Those are the big three games that I see because you know, I don't think it's going to say a lot about the conference what Colorado does against TCU or Nebraska. And I and I and I would hate for the conference to pin its hopes on Kenny Dillingham, you know, hosting Oklahoma State in week 2 or Arizona going to Mississippi State in week 2 or even Washington State uh you know playing Wisconsin at home even though they beat them a year ago. I actually think it's going to be like I think the eyes are going to be on Oregon and Utah and Washington. And and seeing if those teams, and unfortunately those games are road games. Those you know those three games I mentioned: Texas Tech, Baylor, and Michigan State. And you know to see can those teams go on the road and beat a Power Five opponent? And two of them are in the Big Twelve. And so I think eyes on those games. But I I actually expect like the conference record to be more like five hundred, right around five hundred, because I don't know if Arizona can go to Mississippi State and win, and I don't know if Arizona State can handle Oklahoma State at home with a first-year head coach. And certainly I think Colorado's going to have their work cut out for them. But it's Oregon, it's Utah, it's Washington. Those teams have to go on the road and, and win those games. They do, and and USC has got to win in South Bend. That's that's for sure. If they're going to have any chance to get the playoff, they got to win that game. I, I do wonder, you know, because there's a lot of hype about the top of the conference, right? But one thing that fascinates me is the bottom. Because that those two things work hand in hand. The reason the Pac-12 was able to have, was it five teams with 10 wins or more last year? Is because the bottom stunk, right? So there was plenty of cupcakes. It's a zero-sum game. If the more cupcakes you got at the bottom, the more easy wins there are for teams at the top, and you can stockpile those victories, right? But if Colorado's better, if ASU's better under Dillingham, uh, Arizona keeps moving up. Stanford and Cal show any signs of life and the bottom isn't as weak as it was, that's going to make life tougher for the top. And it's going to make it harder for the conference to produce, you know, four or five teams that have 10 wins. Uh, It's parody, right? Parody is the enemy of playoff bids. The way the thing is set up with only four teams getting in the playoff. And for most of the last, I don't know, six, eight years, the Pac-12 has been defined by parity. Last year, there wasn't much, right? We had a top shelf and a clear bottom shelf. And I just wonder, you know, how much better are those bottom teams going to be? And if they are significantly better, that's going to have an impact on the top. Yeah, I think, yeah, it will. But I also think people are starting the season and people will say the preseason poll doesn't matter. It absolutely does because it sets the narrative for the early part of the season. People are expecting big things from USC and Utah and Washington and Oregon and Oregon State. There's five teams in the top 18, and Oregon State's got to go to San Jose State on a Sunday, and it has to win, and it has to look good doing it, and it has to beat San Diego State at home in week three. And and those things need to happen 
But I, I, I think the Texas Tech game with Oregon in week two, big game. Utah's got, you know, out of the gates, Florida and Baylor. Those are huge. But, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, it helps the conference if Washington State can can go back-to-back with wins against Wisconsin. Beating them there then beating them at Martin Stadium would be fantastic. Um, let's Let me ask you this. It, playoff drought, because you brought it up. Like, you know, the narrative on this conference. Does the playoff drought ironically end in the year that the conference, as we once knew it, is ending? I mean, that would be some script, wouldn't it? I mean, the whole thing is an incredible script. Uh, I, you know, I'm picking I, – I don't want to get too far ahead of things, but I do have a – I'm picking a Pac-12 team to make the playoff this year to break the drought. Uh, but that is certainly going to be one of the dominant themes. And, and you know, the moment – the way this system's set up right, you get that second loss and you're basically out. So if anybody loses a non-conference game, any of those playoff hopefuls lose a non-conference game, then you got to run the table in league play to get in the playoff. And that's another reason the non-conference is so, is just so important because you can't, you're not, no Pac-12 teams getting in the playoff with two losses. So uh, the margin for error is very slim and it completely vanishes if you lose a non-conference game. So Washington loses at Michigan State. Uh, you know, that's probably it for the playoff. Utah loses that opener to Florida or next week two to Baylor. That's probably it for the playoff. Do you think Utah values or cares about the playoff in the same way that maybe um, Oregon, USC, or Washington do? I, I'm, I'm, I only ask that because if you need Cam rising down the stretch, and he is – comes in at 100% in the Florida game. Is there any temptation from Kyle Whittingham to go, look, our mission is to win another conference championship, three in a row on the way out, mic drop, retire the trophy. Um, and, and yeah, Are they less focused on the playoff than others, or is that a fallacy I'm inventing here for this podcast? I don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm guessing that they, they view the playoff as the next step that the program needs to take. Uh but I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what Kyle Whittingham would say if he gave him a shot of sodium pentothal or something. It, for, <laughs> interesting to interesting to think about. But gosh, they've been in the Rose Bowl two years in a row. Uh, they haven't won it, uh, you know. But the, at the same time, the Rose Bowl this year is um, you know is a semifinal. So I'm sure they'd love to be in the Rose Bowl this year. All right, you said something to me off air before we recorded the podcast. You said, you know, does any of it matter? What did, what in the world do you mean by does any yeah. of it matter? Of course it matters. I always view there's always like this connective tissue, right? Between what's happened with the in the past, the present, and the future. And so the the Pac-12 as we know it is going to cease to exist, you know, at, at the end of the bowl season, uh as a football product. So what is the what is the lasting connective tissue here uh, for what happens during the season. And I just don't know that it's there, right? It's going to have a different, a totally different feel. You're not going to be able to extrapolate uh, to what might happen next season uh, because there is no next season for the PAC 12 as we know it. It's just, it's a weird deal and it's just, uh, I can't quite explain it, but I do wonder, you know, okay, they won so and so won the conference title, but that's it for the conference. It's it's it, it no longer exists. So, what does it mean long haul? Right? It means something for the schools on an individual basis, but for the conference as a collective, 
is there is there lasting meaning to this season beyond the fact that it's the last one? I think it's going to be interesting to see because there are some schools that I think are going to play with a chip on their shoulder, and we'll find out if that's a distraction. Like Oregon State, Oregon State got left behind. There's no other way to put it. And I just kind of wonder, that's a program that plays with a chip anyway. Do they come into the season so incredibly locked in, focused on saying we belonged, we should have mattered more than – you know, some of these other schools, you know, and and do they try to prove it on the field? That's going to be an interesting one. And I think, too, you hit on something as you were kind of describing it. You know what it felt like to me is, you know, it felt like, you know, we've, we've been watching The Sopranos or we've been watching Breaking Bad and the series finale is coming. And we're, you know, I don't think it's going to please anybody, no matter how great it is, how wild it is, how weird it is. We're all, I think Oregon fans are going to want to want to have made a statement. Oregon State fans are going to wish they had made a statement. USC fans are going to say, we should have won one more. Washington was going to say, we should have punctuated it. Utah, like, I think in the end here, we've got, like, you know, one of these great Netflix series that we have all loved, and for 108 years we've watched it, and imagine that's coming to an end. I think that's what we're ha- we have on our yeah. hands here. It's No, that's well well said. That, that You made the connection that I couldn't quite – uh, explain in my head, but we're not right because normally a season ends if it's not the series finale and the season ends, you're thinking about the implications for the next season, right? There isn't any next season. So uh, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And the chip will be largest for sure. And sharpest in, in Corvallis and in Pullman. And those two rivalry games at the end, um, I think Oregon, Oregon State, is that Friday, day after Thanksgiving, yes, I think? Yes, it is a Friday then, on Fox at 5.30. Yeah. Fox wins again. Think, right, think about and that. then like, it's going to be the biggest the one ever. the next day. So, in theory, you know, somebody could get to both of those games because that is going to be something else, those two matchups. Yeah, I circled the four saltiest games of the season. Oh, that's a good on, ranking. On my schedule. I've got it right in front of me. And... I the first one I circled was week four, Oregon hosting Colorado, just because Dan Lanning made the comment like yeah. you know, I can't remember them winning. Have they won anything? I can't remember. Right, that if was they good won line. Good line by Dan. I know you touched on this a little bit, but as far as the Pac twelve, can I just get your initial reaction when you heard about the news of Colorado leaving? And does these changes change the approach or your attitude as far as the coming this season? Not a big reaction. I mean I'm trying to remember when what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. Do you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. And uh, I think Oregon fans loved it, you know. He he wasn't lying, but you don't often hear a coach talk that way. And I think there's going to be a little bit of saltiness there. I think week eight, Utah goes to uh, USC to play, um, you know, what would be, I guess, the rubber match. You know, Utah won them both last year. I think USC is uh, owes Utah something, and I don't think Utah likes USC, and they're going separate ways. I think that one will be salty. And then you you mentioned the two Week 13 games. It's the Civil War in, in at Autzen Stadium, and it's the uh, it's the Apple Cup um, at, at Husky Stadium. And the, the two Big Ten programs who left their, their uh, in-state, public school friends behind are going to have to uh, kick off the football game and play one more time. Yep. Oh, it, that's a, that's a great ranking. I mean, I would always put Oregon Washington on a list of a short list of saltiness. Yeah. Um, and the, 
Utah does not play BYU, so there's no holy war saltiness uh, this season. But yeah, that's a that's a great list. And and uh, again, I just <laughs> I know we aren't going there, but I just I feel so bad for Oregon State and Washington State and what's going on in this whole thing. Well, yeah, and they you kind of hope they've got to get their feet. You hope they have them. great seasons because of that. Yeah, but they've got to get their feet underneath them. And I actually think like you know, I think we see this the same way. Like week one is not that far away. I think they have to know and they have to have some direction here. They can't wait till Thanksgiving. They can't wait till January 1st to know what conference they're playing in. They can't leave that uncertainty. So some of this has got to get settled in the early part of the season. You know, where are they going to play? Are they sticking together? Are they going to the Mountain West? Are they going to the American? Are they doing something else? That ha- They need some clarity there, even though they've got the chip on their shoulder. And let me ask you something, because you've hit, you've hit on this over the years, as we've talked. Oregon and Washington will play this great rivalry in week seven and i don't i don't i think we agree that over the years the pac-12 has not done enough to promote that rivalry do you think the big 10 will do a better job of highlighting that game and what it means and how much these two fan bases and schools all the history all the hatred will they do a better job in the big 10 of highlighting the rivalry you would think so because fox runs the big 10 and fox will do whatever it takes to you know promote its premium inventory. Uh, so I would imagine, yes, the answer will be yes. I mean, Fox will do do whatever it takes, right? And the Big Ten can execute on those fronts better than the Pac-12. You know, I think the Pac-12 has done a little bit better on that kind of stuff lately, but we went many years where, right? I mean, football was viewed as no more important than tennis by the former commissioner, and that showed. Uh, and I think that the Big Ten will actually will certainly understand what it's got and try to do right by the West Coast matchups uh, with the LA schools and the Pacific Northwest schools. And and Fox will do whatever it takes to to create the the best uh, broadcast spectacles. The Pac-12 championship game will uh, be in Las Vegas. Final game as we know it. And that's where this this uh, roller coaster ride will end in Vegas. Who in your mind, and you and you reserve the right, you can change your pick. Like week five, we can revisit this. Who's going to get to the end? Who's looking like they're playing better? You know, who's healthy? But right now, before a game has been played, Wilner, who in your mind is playing at Allegiant Stadium for the Pac-12 championship? All right, so we're doing this right now, huh? Okay. I'm going with, uh, and I did not. Uh, I should say, in all for transparency purposes, I did not participate in the Pac-12's uh, preseason media poll because I was on vacation uh, at the time, and my vacation spanned that whole stretch where they sent out the ballot and then requested your the ballots back, and I I just uh, I didn't do it. I needed a break, so I haven't actually thought everything through. I do have Washington to win the league. And I think Washington's going to make the playoff. They, I I think they're going to get through twelve and one, and break this drought. Last time a Pac-12 team made the playoff was the Huskies in 2016 season. Seven years. I, I've got Washington winning the league and making the playoff. And in terms of who they beat in Las Vegas, gosh, I probably would. I'd probably go with Utah, but I you know Utah USC. That's going to be. Uh, that's a tough one to pick. And the, the, all those teams play each other, like you were saying. They all play each other in the last six, seven weeks of the season. I mean, 
it's going to be a fantastic stretch run and and uh you know just who's going to be able to uh withstand uh, the the punishment on a week to week basis who's going to be freshest uh when the season comes to an end USC will have the benefit if they make the championship game right they'll have that bye right but the week before because of their school schedule with Notre Dame but i i'm picking utah and Washington with Washington winning it, Washington going to the playoff. We see. What this, about you? We see this way different. Way. Oh, different. good. Good. I, I think that all five of those teams, and maybe even UCLA, we didn't even get into them, but UCLA has got kind of a nice ride with the schedule, and if they can figure out the quarterback position, they could be a real disruptive team to to anybody here. But but the five teams that are ranked, I think any of them. Are worthy. Like I think, if things went well for Oregon, Oregon State, USC, Utah, or Washington, and others had injuries, it 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 the, you know the path clears for any of them to get to Vegas. But I so I have to look at this from a standpoint of scheduling. Which of these five teams has got the clearest road, the easiest path? And to me, it jumps off the schedule at me that Oregon State is not only playing with that chip on their shoulder, they get Washington at home, they get Utah at home, they have to go to Austin Stadium and play Oregon, but I love their schedule. It just There's a rhythm to it. They play Utah in Week 5 at home. They're 11-1 in their last 12 at Research Stadium. They get UCLA at home. They get Washington at home. The only tricky road game comes at Oregon. They do not play U- USC, and... And I I think the, that there's a path there for Jonathan Smith and Oregon State if they're ever going to you know have everything line up with the chip on their shoulder on top of it this is it so I think the Beavers are getting to Vegas and I think they're going to be it's going to be an interesting uh, title game because I I look at the other teams I do not like Washington's late season schedule with USC Utah and Oregon State back to back to back that feels insurmountable to me and and I and I wonder about Michael Penix down the stretch and how healthy he was a year ago so I kind of eliminated Washington based on I thought Washington was playing the best football last year Husky fans don't at me like they were playing the best football I, I would have loved to see them play in the title game last year but this year I just think that's a gauntlet it's it's bloody November it's USC on the road it's Utah at home it's Oregon State on the road good luck with those three I just don't see them getting cleanly through there. I think Utah's schedule, apologies to Kyle Whittingham, who told me on media day what the hell to do. Uh, you know, I win two in a row. You guys pick me third. Um, I just think Utah's schedule is too tough. They, <laughs> they have to play everybody else. Um, and, you know, so by virtue of this, I've got USC and Oregon State meeting in the Pac-12 championship game. The one caveat is I think Oregon has, in my mind, the third easiest of the five teams if Oregon State can knock, uh, excuse me, if Oregon can knock Oregon State out, it could be Oregon USC in the title game. But right now, before there's a game played, I'm picking Oregon State and USC to be in Vegas. Boy, that would be some. That would be incredible. Beavers, revenge of the schools left behind. Boy, <laughs> that would be a script that uh, the Pac-12 president certainly would not be worthy of. That's that's for sure. I, I hey, it'd be. Fantastic to watch that game. And, you know, the Beavers would have a great chance if they, you know, don't turn the ball over four times. They would have beaten USC last year. Yeah, they had five. Right? So five, it's not five like times. Five times. They have five, 
five picks and you know lost by three. I mean, it, I think that's a game that Oregon State, when they look back at last season, they would really want back. And you know, I, I asked Caleb Williams about that game uh, media day, and he, you know, he said that Oregon State had they confused him, and he said they were better and more athletic than than he thought they were going to be. And I, I think. The key, though, for Oregon State, it's it's going to come back to can DJ Uyunglele plays because they'll run the ball, they'll play some defense. They've lost a lot of defensive leadership from last year, but can DJ make some plays? And, you know, they've got depth at the quarterback position. Gulbrunson can come in, but they couldn't throw the ball last year down the stretch with Gulbrunson at quarterback. And so it comes down to DJ staying healthy. Can he make plays? If he can, I put him in there. If we get to midseason and DJ's, you know, just so-so, I might I reserve the right to change my pick. I'd probably pick Oregon to play USC. But hell, you make an argument for Utah. You can make an argument for Washington. And I'm not gonna laugh at anybody who says UCLA, if they can find consistent quarterback play, um, if UCLA can get there, because I think Chip Kelly's got a good team around the quarterback. Yeah, I mean it's a mark of a great conference when you got a whole bunch of contenders, right? And just to highlight for folks, because what you mentioned about the 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 schedule. So I, I was looking at the the top game. So week seven, you got Oregon at Washington. You then next the following week, Utah at USC, Oregon at Utah, Washington at USC, USC at Oregon, and Utah at Washington. Same day, November eleventh, USC at Oregon, Utah at Washington. Then you got week twelve, Washington at Oregon State. Then you got the the rivalry games week thirteen. It is just going to be mid-October on is going to be something else. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully the the other stuff is going to be able to, you know, is going to be in the background enough so that the, the games and the athletes get their due. Uh, and, the you know, and we can all enjoy, you know, college football at its highest level, which is certainly one of my favorite, favorite things more enjoyable watching great games and it is trying to figure out who's going to be in what conference. I, I just know that I grew up on the Pac-10 conference and I grew up with USC had Charles White at running back and Stanford had John Elway and you know there was the play the, at Cal in the big game and you know the it, there were just so many great moments so much tradition and I know people have spent uh, a lot of time in the last week or so mourning that, lamenting that, while simultaneously looking to the future. My hope for this season is that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with major college football. Everyone's talking about it'll be 40 teams. Others are saying the geography will ultimately win out and all this will be put back together in a different way. Uh, we don't know where that's all going to go. But I know this. I think this is going to be an unforgettable season. I think it's going to be one of those seasons that sticks with everybody, because in addition to all the great teams and the players we're talking about, you've got some first-year head coaches. You've got some programs that could be disruptors that, you know, are, are no pushover. I look at Washington State. I look at Arizona. I think about them in that context. I think about Cal and Justin Wilcox trying to get his feet underneath him. You know, could they have a, you know, could they be a disruptive team? We're watching Coach Prime you know, try to uh, try to build it in, in Boulder, and what will they be? I mean, there's so much to talk about this season. I'm excited that we've got this podcast, and I know we'll look in week five, six, and seven, Wilner, and we'll be hopefully we'll be soaking it in like fans are. 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't get there's a ton of stuff we didn't talk about, right? We didn't really get into the new coaches much. Uh a lot of the the strategy, uh the officiating, changes to the officiating. They've added a crew, they've lost what four uh referees. That's obviously a topic that we will dive into at some point. But can, before just... we but before we go, I mean procedurally, you've got a conference that, you know, there's a lot of people with resumes out. How do they pull off the you know the operations of a season, the operations of a basketball season that's still yet to come? And how do they pull all that off in your mind, Wilner? I mean, is that a question or or you know how does that come together for a conference that has, you know, 200 employees who probably are all, you know, getting their resumes out? Yeah, that's a great question. And and certainly uh, there's no answers yet, right? They're sorting through how much money they've got, who's in control, right? But they, they, they have to do what's right by the athletes. And I don't know what that means with – the operations staff at the conference office, uh, but whatever it takes, they've got to they've got to be able to execute to to make sure the athletes get get a fair uh, and enjoyable season. That to me, that's what it comes down to. I don't, I wouldn't expect that the you know they're not going to lose officials before the season ends, but certainly from an operations standpoint in the conference office, you do have to you do have to wonder, no question. I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription or a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. He's John Wilner, pac12hotline.com. And we will be back with another episode. I appreciate that you subscribe to this. Share it with your friends. Tweet at us. Tell us uh, you know, who you like in the Pac-12 championship game. And uh, we will be back with another episode uh, as news dictates or as the season starts. It was nice talking football. Finally. Thanks, everybody, for listening.